not you. Check, check. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do was kind of like a little project that's been on my mind. And I'm going to pass out a card to everybody and a pen if you don't have one. Just one card, one pen to everybody. I got Evan and Brenda here. It's going to be my helpers, Santa's helpers. This is a test. Dang it, pop quiz. And it is a pop quiz, and it's hard. You look like you're ready. You study. Somebody always does and blows the curve, right? Hey, sister, do you want a pen? You want to help? Come here, I need somebody to help hold this up for me. Can you hold this for me? Nope. No, she wants to do what she wants to do. I'll dox him. This, uh, the purpose of the little test is just a, uh, a snapshot of where you are. And uh, what, I've, what I've done is we've got, everybody's got a card, everybody's got a pen. At the end of this little two-minute conversation, I'm going to ask you to write a number on there based on one of these numbers, one, two, three, four, five, or six. And nobody wants to write six, so don't anybody write six, but I'll tell you why in a minute. All right. This number one represents the person in here that doesn't want to be here. Uh, they got drug in here by their parents or their girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh, they think Jesus is all BS and this religious stuff is all baloney. And uh, uh, they really don't want to be here. They'd rather be somewhere else, watching the Cowboys and Packers or watching some movie. And it's okay if you're number one to put, I'm a number one. We, you know, if that person is in the room, we'd like to know. And the thing is, is don't want anybody to write your name on this. It's just put a number one, a two, a three, a four, or five. Nobody put six. All right, so if you're a one, put a one. Two is the person in the room that doesn't know Jesus yet, has not given his heart to Jesus, but is curious. Like, I got some questions about this religious stuff. Uh, I see what y'all are doing, kind of interested, and want to, you know, want to know a little bit more about this. It's the it's the curious person that's in the room that hasn't just made the commitment yet to follow Jesus. Then the cross, of course, is Jesus, and you run into Jesus, and you accept him, and you love him, and you jump over here to the other side, and these guys three, four, and five, they're all saved. Okay, so this is a good place to be three, four, and five. Three is the new Christian, the one that's on fire right now. He just, he just got his candle lit, and uh, he just 
eating up all things religion, all things Christian, all things Jesus. He wants to know all the songs, wants to know all, read all the books, wants everything there is to know about Jesus as much as he can get, as fast as he can get it. Because he's just learning and everything is new. I ran into this guy who was in a small group of mine and uh, it was really cool because we would tell him about a story in the Bible. And then with all earnestly, he said, what happened next? You know, so just, it was a lot of fun. So what happened next? Because he didn't know any of the story. So there's, there's people that may not know the story. And so that would be the guy that's number three or the gal. Not a sexist in here. Number four is the person that's been on a walk with Jesus for a little while. He's uh, learned how to feed himself. He's not just coming for this and asking other people. He started doing his own research, uh, opening the Bible, uh, reading, maybe pull out a concordance and see some other uh, connections between verses and maybe gotten a, a commentary to know what other people have said about a verse. Um, four is a good place to be. Five would be a mature Christian, someone that is... Um, uh, walk with the Lord for a while, learn how to feed himself, and is now ready to help others and step into it, uh, a position of talking to other people about Jesus, helping other people on their journey. And uh, this, this is a great place to be. Number six, and he's over the cross, and he's looking down at Jesus, and he thinks he's got it all figured out. He thinks he's in, but he's really not because... Although uh, he says the right things, does the right things, his, heart, his heart's not with Jesus. And this pl scary place to be because he don't even know he's lost. This guy's lost and he doesn't even know that he's lost. He's the hyper-religious dude, the judgmental guy uh, that we run into from time to time. And, and you can't even explain to him how he's missed it. And so what I'd like you to do is look on take your card right there and just write a one, two, three, four, five. That's all you have to do. No names, no initials, no nothing that indicates who you are. One, two, three, four, five. And at the end of the tonight is drop it over here in the bucket and uh, we'll share this with Mike and he can take a look at that and figure out where he's going in the future. Uh, just a little, little simple test. And if y'all would try to give us 100% participation, we'd all be happy. Okay. Now, the, what I want to talk about tonight is a story that everybody's familiar with, and it's, uh, it's the story of the prodigal son. That's the one we all know. Uh, but before we got there, I just wanted to let you know that people have been thinking about this story for a long time. Uh, Rembrandt in 1669 uh, did a painting, and this is Rembrandt's painting of the um, prodigal son. And the people that are participating in this, it's a really interesting picture, although it doesn't completely tell the story. It's the way the, guy, the artist saw it, but you've got the son who's obviously on his knees, and if you, if you check the son out, one shoe's off, one shoe's on, but the heel's gone. He's really in a 
sad uh, space here. And then the guy with his hands on him and loving him, of course, is his father. Uh, one of the interesting things about this, and uh, Rembrandt, when he drew this, uh, painted this picture, the father has two different hands on him. If you notice, the left hand is a very masculine hand, and the, the right hand is a feminine hand, uh, which he didn't tell anybody why he did it, but this is the way the painting has come out, and a lot of people believe that that's the, the God's image coming out, you know, the made of male and female. And so it's just two totally different hands, and you can see it if you look at the painting closely. And you go back out. And then the, the photograph in the very back uh, is the mother, the, the picture that she's never in the painting or in, never in the story, but she's in here watching this gal here. Really, uh, the cool part about this, and Nicole and I had this conversation earlier today, is uh, she's, she's so happy that the dad's accepted the son back. You know, it's like the, the, the one person that, you know, you can almost count on never giving up on you is your mama. You know, it's like, you just, it just doesn't happen. Your mama's usually the last line of defense. Was at my house anyway. And then the, the guy sitting down, he just manages the estate, probably the tax collector. And the other, the other guy is the older brother who we know is not there based on the story, but he's there for this painting. And he's, he's got his hands crossed in total disagreement with the father accepting the son back. And I think it's cool you see the family in them because they've got the, the same cloak. And we know from the story that the younger son is gonna have that red cloak on in just a few minutes. And he's gonna have some new sandals and he's gonna have a ring before this is over. So uh, this was, what Rembrandt was thinking about when he heard the story. And then another, a more modern philosopher, uh, Mick Jagger and the Stones, <laughs> <laughs> who actually did a song called The Prodigal Son, and now there may be people in the room that don't know who the Rolling Stones are, but um, this, I, I brought this song for you to listen to, and it is super, super, super hard to understand what he's saying because it is a, more bluesy, and so I've, I've got the words and the music, I think, and you might be able to follow it. I've been scolded tonight for not getting this out quicker so that it would be more technically slick, so. Uh, to the host, I apologize. We got, this, we got the words. Now we just need some uh, Made some tunes. That's it.
right, there you go. Who'd have thunk it? My worry is that he's number six. <laughs> he may think he knows, but he doesn't know. Uh, wanted to go over some of the uh, the verses. I first I want to start out in Second Timothy three sixteen, and you can follow me if you want to, or listen if you don't. Second Timothy. 316 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so that's why we spend time in our Bibles, uh, because we want um, to be thoroughly equipped. The uh, story today is in Luke 15, but before we get to Luke 15, I wanted to pop over and show you a couple verses to kind of set the stage. In Luke uh, 11, 37, y'all don't have to look at these, I'm just going to read them to you because they're one-liners. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, uh, he marveled that he had uh, not first washed his hands before he dinner. The, the point of that verse is that the Pharisees invited dinner, invited Jesus in to dinner for them, uh, to dine with them. Over in 11, or Luke 14, 14, 1. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers, the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And so here again, on another occasion, Jesus has gone in to eat with the, the Pharisees. Not only the Pharisees, one of the rulers of the Pharisees. And so as, as I have grown up in, um, in the church, I have always kind of put all of the Pharisees over here as the bad guys. All of, Jesus and everybody else was over here, and the Pharisees were over here. And so... They were, the, they were the bad dudes and uh, didn't want to be a Pharisee. But the fact of it is, uh, if you go back and start thinking about it, Jesus went into the church, into the synagogues, to both preach and teach and to learn. Uh, when he was 12, he was in the synagogue when he got lost from his parents. And so uh, if you look at the different sects, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes, and Jesus' theology matched up closely with the Pharisees. They're the ones that believe the same things that he believed. The sticking point was they didn't believe him. And so it's, um, these guys are, are, they know the scriptures, and, and they, uh, they have a very good idea of what it's supposed to look like, and they, but they just miss it. So that's, that's where we start off, um, is that Jesus is going in, not only to the home of the uh, Pharisees, but he's also dining with the tax collectors and sinners. And so that's where we jump off in to uh, chapter 15, and that's kind of where I want to camp for a little while. The tax collectors, then all of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. 
And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke uh, this parable to them, saying, and then we'll talk about the parable in a minute, but <clears throat> one of the things I've learned just in the last three to four weeks is a lot of times when Jesus takes off and starts talking and, and teaching, it's because an issue has been put on the table. And I've never really thought about, you know, Jesus is going through here and I'm just gobbling up what he's saying, but I've never even thought about why is he saying what he's saying when he says it. And so here in uh, 15, we know the Pharisees are complaining about who uh, Jesus is receiving. He's receiving sinners and he eats with them. So that's, that is a big problem. And so Jesus starts off and he comes up and he tells three parables. And a really cool part, if you have a Bible that's got the red letters, and I've got a Bible that's got the red letters, the red letters start here in verse 4, and they go all the way through to the end of 15, which I'd never even thought about this until this teaching came along, and, and that was that this is all one, this is one story, one thought, one transaction that Jesus is having with these Pharisees. And so Jesus is sitting here, and he says, all right, guys, he knows what they're thinking, right? So he says, let me tell you a, a story. And the first story is, he says, it's the parable of the uh, lost sheep. And in the parable of the lost sheep, we know that the guy has 100 sheep. And one of those sheep gets lost. And so what does the guy do? He goes and he pursues that sheep and he brings it in. And the Pharisees at this time, they knew what sheep were. They knew what that's part of their, their culture, part of every, you know, of course, you would go look for your sheep. Every one of the Pharisees' little heads bobbing, of course you go get the sheep. And then it says, um, he calls, his, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And Jesus goes on to say, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And so the, the circle and underlying parts is rejoice with me. Uh, he calls his friends and his neighbors, and there will be more joy in heaven. That's, and then we run on to the second parable in this uh, little transaction, and that is the woman that has ten coins and loses one of her coins. And she goes and gives up her whole day to find that one coin. She sweeps the corners. She's pulling everything out. She's got to find that one coin because that one coin is very important to her. If she's got ten, this represents ten percent of her total. So, of course, she goes and she spends all day finding this coin. And when she finds the coin, she says she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me. This is almost the identical language to the above parable where you've got the uh, man that goes to find a sheep. He says, Rejoice with me. She goes and finds her coin. She says, Rejoice with me. And the response of Jesus is, uh, Likewise, I say to you, there is a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in the first situation, we've got 
of the person's will. He's got a hunter's sheep, loses one, goes and finds it, and the Pharisees are nodding their head. Yes, that's what we need to do. Go find that one. And then we got a woman that loses 10% of her, her savings, and she goes and finds it, and they're all saying, yeah, of course you go find that. Spend all day, whatever. So you got the Jesus uh, using the Pharisees' own beliefs to get them in agreement with them. And then he says, let me tell you this third story. And he's, he goes on and he says, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls on me. And the really crazy part about this is how that money would come to the son. And everybody knows the story is that for him to get his, he's basically telling the dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because I want the money more than I want you. And so the dad gives him the money. And then uh, he, takes the, um, he takes the money. And you can infer on this because the, the Israel at this time was a, um, an agrarian society. Only way for him to cash out is then turn around and sell the property. So it's not like not only did he take the dad's property, they could have all still lived on there. What he did was he then sold it to someone else, took the cash, cashed out. So now he's killed the family's property. It's gone. And he takes that money to a foreign land. Uh, just he broke fellowship, broke fellowship with his dad, broke fellowship with his family. And uh, <coughs> he goes and he squanders the money. And all of these are very important uh, because he squanders the money, loses all that he's got. We all know the story. I'm not telling you anything new. And he hires himself out uh, to someone else. So now he's gone from the owner, possessor of land to uh, owner of a lot of money. Now he's broke and he's having to work for somebody else. And then the, the final kicker in the deal is not only is he working for somebody else, but he's feeding the pigs, feeding the swine. And we know in the, uh, at that time that the pigs were unclean. And so you've got a Jewish boy that's told his dad that he hated him, that broke fellowship, sold their property, blew the property, and now is feeding pigs. And so uh, Jesus has painted this guy as the worst possible son you can imagine in that time and place. And so all the Pharisees, like their nose turns up, that kid's got to go. You know, it's like, no way. So they, Jesus not only has painted this son as leaving, but he's made him as bad, as ugly, as nasty as a son could be. But then the younger son does what? He repents. He turns around and he goes back home. And so when he gets home, we know what the dad does. Not only does he accept him back, but he runs out, runs out over the hill. And it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is because God doesn't wait for you to get there. He just rushes, you know, falls around his neck and starts kissing him. And just like that, that feeling of having your dad to love you that much that he would humble himself. And 
uh, as you may or may not know, this is, this is kind of like the fun parts for me, is back then the men wore long robes, you know. And so for that dad to run, he had to hike his dress up and grab it and take off running, <laughs> which is uh, in their society was a very humbling exercise. Men, men did not pull their shirts up or their dresses up. Men did not run. They walked. And so by doing this, he's humbled himself in front of everybody to take off to go see his son. And then when he gets there to his son, he says, all right, let's uh, um, put a um, coat on this boy. Let's put some shoes on his feet. Let's give him a ring that he's back in the family. You know, my son was dead and now he's alive. And so if we look at that, we already know that Jesus has said, let's see, he says, rejoice with me, all my friends, all my neighbors, because this is not uh, one person, this, I mean, this is not the, like the, the sheep and it's not the coin. This is the sinner that is repented. And so like he's given comparisons. We're, in the first two stories, you found a, a sheep, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven when that sinner turns. You found the coin, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven when that sinner returned. Now we've got the sinner repenting. And he wants to throw the party of all parties. And so he calls his family. He calls his friends. He says, let's kill the fatty calf. They've been holding that bad boy off, ready for the meal. The older brother hears the music going on, sees the party happening, and can't go in. Won't go in. Uh, and that, I believe, is the point of the story. And so we're not, uh, the, the story is the, the prodigal, the um, parable of the prodigal son. In my Bible, it says the parable of the lost son. And, and what's, this is really beautiful because I think that the whole story is about the older brother. The, the, the sheep, the coin, and the younger brother are good stories because it's got a good message. But the older brother is the subject of chapter 15. And so, but he was angry and would not go in. And here again, the father, therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours uh, came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father responds to him, and he says, uh, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And so, the, you start looking at the older brother in here, and he says, um, this, is, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. He's done everything that a person could do bad. 
and we should not let him back in. And so, uh, this is the part where the story diverges from the other two stories. We've got the one story that's leading down to repentance. The second story leads to repentance. The third story leads to repentance, but suddenly we've got a divergence. Not everybody's happy. Not everybody's celebrating. Uh, as you look through this, and I've got more, more talking than I've got time, but... Uh, <laughs> killed all my time um, the the interesting parts here are the elder brother he tips his hand in this verse he says lo these many years I have been serving you I have never transgressed your commandments it's a work based relationship with the father he never loved his father it's like it's never Dad, I loved you so much. It's, I served you. Uh, I never disobeyed your commandments. I've never trespassed them. And you never gave me a goat. Uh, I have always been um, happy with the way this story ends because you never know after the dad pleads with him whether he goes back in. You never know. It's like that part of the story is left blank. And uh, you kind of, if we, if we look at this, it's like, um, what are some of the tips? What are some of the tips? And I would tell you that um, as we look at the story, the, you start putting the, putting the, the players into the story. So obviously we know that um, the elder brother in this particular case, because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, represents the Pharisees. You know, it's like he's talking to these guys that are questioning him about dining with, and we know that the, uh, based on the story, based on the way the story, the issue came to him, was that the, the sinners are the younger brother, right? So... Older brother wants younger brother gone. Doesn't want him there. And then we look at the uh, who is the father in the case, and and we know that the father is God as he's as he's having the conversation with that. So <clears throat> when we we look at it, the father responds to the son, son, you are always with me. Is you are always with me. I always I'm here for you. I'm here with you. And the son never enjoyed the relationship with the father. It's like never did realize that how much he was receiving in being with the father. And he says, he goes on to say, all that I have is yours. We're not, we're not going back and recutting the, the fortune. Everything I've got is yours. Uh, and you listen to the son's complaint. He says, you never gave me a goat. You know, he's got his dad. He's got everything that he has of his dad's. It's all his, but he wanted a goat. You know, and as we sit here, uh, we can ask ourselves, uh, how does this apply? You know, it's like, what is the application? And you can ask yourself, like, um, uh, how do you respond 
when God blesses someone that you know is a sinner and not living rightly. And you got this little, somebody drives up in the new sports car or uh, buys the new house or um, just, just they're prospering and they're, you know they're doing wrong. They're cutting corners, they're cheating, they're stealing. And does that get your goat? You know, it's like, and if it gets your goat, then maybe that's um, an indication that you may be the elder brother because that guy in his sin is receiving that little bit when you've got it all. Another one is, is um, how do you respond when, when God allows difficulty and hardship to occur to you? I don't deserve this. I've been a good boy. I go to church every week. I teach, I sing in the choir, teach Sunday school, you know. I tithe. I give to the poor. I, you know, there's all these great things. And then you get upset the first time something bad happens to you. It's kind of like uh, playing trick-or-treat. You go to God and you do good, so he gives you a treat, you know. And so that's really not the way it works. But if, if you're having those thoughts, then, then maybe you're battling that elder brother syndrome. Um, the, uh, um, I guess, I don't want to take all night, let's see. I do want to, uh, there's a couple little points here I want to follow through because I, I brought this up earlier, is that, the, that when the story ends, you realize that the elder brother is lost. And so we've got people and friends and family that we watch them go and you can see them uh, physically lost. You know, they're doing what they shouldn't be doing. They're places where they shouldn't be. And you, it, that they're wearing it. You know, the, the scarlet S of their sinner. You know, he's, he's sinning. But then there's a spiritual loss that's not quite as obvious, and uh, it's easy to hide. And, and they're equally they're equally lost. You've got the 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 rebel that's that finds faith too restrictive, and so he runs over here. And then you got the legalist that's counting on his good works and and his. Um, Performance, and so when he gets when he gets in there to the pearly gates, he's going to say, "Shoot, I don't need to repent, dude. I, I hit it on all cylinders. I never did anything wrong. I'm just going to slide in on my works." And you know that guy's not going to make it either. And so you've got to have Jesus, and which is the 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 whole moral of the story. You got to have a relationship with Christ. And then the the really the sad part is. When you take the story to the conclusion, and I said, you know, like the story stays open, and you, you think, well, the elder brother's got an option, but if you read the rest of the Bible, we know that the elder brother kills the father, right? That's the, he's the one that takes him to the cross. It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't the sinners. It was the Pharisees, the, the legals, you know, and, and um, it's, that's just a scary place to be. Um, and 
I would like to tell y'all that I learned all that on myself and pulling out the books and going through all that. But, I, you know, I've got this from numerous different sources, you know, like um, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, Bodie Bauckham. Those are all people that have um, talked to me about this. Henry Nowen uh, did a whole book on that painting that's um, so just like I would tell you to go out and dig and pull out this everywhere you can find it. The, the internet is really a terrible thing because of the, the porn and <laughs> the gambling and the stalking and all the bad things that can happen, but it's a really wonderful resource in that it can, it can bring you all kinds of uh, Bible teaching and so take advantage of it. I guess that's all I got to say about that. If you, if you don't uh, mind, put those uh, those cards up there so I, we can take a look at it later. Thank y'all. that we get to sometimes we'll kind of mentally check out in this moment but when you think about it the father that Dotson just described to us in the in the prodigal son don't kill the fatted calf let's have a feast because my son that was lost is now found and so the feast is represented there it's the body of Christ the blood of Christ and so for us together we get this incredible opportunity to feast with our father constantly and so the purpose for this is that we're reminding one another that we are family together and that we're all seated at the right hand of the father because of Jesus that's our uh, place in the family and so that's a beautiful thing to participate. If there's anyone in here that's by themselves and they don't want to have communion by themselves, would you let me know? I'm just going to stand over there. If there's anyone else that wants to pray with anyone, um, man, let's eat and feast together as a family. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you. Lord, you are a good father. Thank you for running out. Father, thank you for pulling your dress up <laughs> and running to us. Father, thank you that we wanted you to run to us. And Father, that we have just surrendered ourselves to you. And in that, Father, it is the most powerful place we can be. We are empowered with resurrection power, Father. 